all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? And happy anniversary to us. Oh, yes. <laughs> I am Rachel. Happy anniversary to you. <laughs> oh, happy anniversary to you. Anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, and, Starting off with a bang. <laughs> yes, and I'm David. And this is All Bad Things Anniversary Edition. We are recording this on our third wedding anniversary. We are two weeks two weeks away from our actual third, third anniversary. anniversary. That's right. July yeah. 17th was That's our right. launch day. Yes. Yes, July 17th, 2017, 71717. We busted out with a promo and three episodes all at once. Yes, we did. Yeah, that's right. And now we're on episode 157. Which is insane. So many. Every single Monday since 71717. Mm-hmm. And we are um, not slumming it today. We are... We are not. We're not even drinking beer tonight. No. So we are drinking... Fancy mixed cocktails. Yeah, drinking booze tonight. Yes, with uh, fancy craft liquor. Mm-hmm. I am drinking a uh, gin and tonic, courtesy of Durham Distillery, which does the best gin I've yes, ever they had. Do. Yes, Conniption they do. gin. When we buy a bottle of that stuff, it doesn't last very long. Mm-hmm. It lasts like three weeks tops. It is so <laughs> good. Here, it you is. Wanna... Yes, I do. Sip. Do you remember the... Um, Mm. It's so good, isn't it? Do you remember the name of the... Like, what are you drinking? Oh, this is uh, Raleigh Rum Company, I believe. Okay. Was the name of it. And this is a rum and coke. You sure it wasn't Raleigh Distillery? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it was... Okay. Yeah. It was rum ba- rum only? Yeah. Okay. It, their uh, logo, logo was cool. And you... It's you... got a... It's got a nice... Uh, it's not too sweet, which is nice. Because mm. rum's usually... On the sweeter side? Yeah, no, it's actually, it cuts through the coke really mm-hmm. well. Yeah, and a, and a uh, Mexicola. Right. Because we bought the bottled The coke. bottle, real sugar cola. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good. Very good, it yes. is. It is. So we're, we're hitting the sauce tonight. Yes, we are. <laughs> um, follow us, Insta, Twitter, Facebook, at All Bad Things Pod. Uh, I posted pic- a picture from our wedding today. Oh, okay. In front of the magistrate. <laughs> yes. Who married who, everybody under the sun? Who's, who's ever <laughs> who's married several other people that we know? Anyone who has ever gotten married at the Raleigh courthouse in downtown Raleigh? It seems Raleigh, like it's been through that. Apparently, guy. it's this one guy. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm actually really impressed with his uh, demeanor. He he did not seem jaded. He was still no, very not sweet at all. and to have and to, and to hold. <laughs> <laughs> He had quite the southern drawl on him. It wasn't a draw. It was more of a, pa- a weird patter he had, like that was very slow, very drawn out. It was almost like a. It was almost like a preacher. Yeah, a little, a little bit, bit, maybe a little bit like uh-huh. that. But he was young. I mean, he was probably oh yeah around the same age as us. Probably. Yeah. So, um, well, he, cheer, cheers yeah. to oh, us. Oh yes. Hmm. There we go. Indeed. That's why you're going to hear a lot of ice cubes in this yes, episode. Yes, that's true. That's true. Um, you can also email us allbadthings at gmail. Sorry, allbadthingspod at gmail.com. Uh, feel free to send in research. We will. I am hoarding the research right now, admittedly. However, I think our next episode I might go ahead and uh, pull one out that 
was for, okay, I do not play favorites. <laughs> I love you all, and I love all of your research equally. Um, but there's one that I think would would fit in the flow of the current episodes because believe it or not, I do plan <laughs> for specific reasons. That's why you don't hear like five plane crashes in a row or, you know, I try to mix it up and mix up the location. That's why you don't hear me very often. <laughs> Except when we do all good things. We had to start our own sideshow for me. Yes, no, exactly. I'm, I'm kidding. You don't hear me that often because I'm become incredibly lazy as far as as far as it comes to research yeah you struggle with the discipline and the research yeah Uh, but in all fairness you have to sit here at this like at our dresser (laughs) yes i do and type on our really old mac that doesn't cooperate and opens like a thousand tabs in word for no reason well it's it's a it's a better setup than most people have let's be honest but uh True, but, but I. Get my, to but be my a, thing is, I I don't work in an office job. That's, that's not a that's not a cheap shot on you or anything. No, no, no. But seeing as how lots of people work office jobs, there are plenty. You can just dick around the internet for two or three hours a day, and well, that's assuming you don't have work to do. Right, but. which is an office job. You have work to do. You do people's taxes. <laughs> I'm talking about just your I average gotcha. office job. You I do gotcha. literally like five hours of work a week. Maybe. Sometimes. Some office jobs, that's for sure. Um, but I do have a much nicer setup. I have two screens, a gigantic computer. No, you've got a you've got like a whole uh like a whole Wall mothership. Of screens. I do, I do. It's it is the mothership, yes. Um, so yeah, it's easier for me to do research. But again, if you have not heard your research, it's basically because I am saving it once we hit January. <laughs> You'll be hearing nothing but listener research. So and, and me. Yeah, and you. <laughs> I know you're looking forward to that. Oh, very much. <laughs> um uh real quick, uh unplug I we did this on our all goods thing goods things. Goods things. <laughs> our all good things. Uh about Y2K, but I said I was gonna do it on the main show too. Um shout out to Lee. Hutch, who has started his own podcast, yes. Civil Wargasms. Mm-hmm. So, Civil Wargasms. Yes. So make sure to. A very Lee podcast. A very Lee name, yes, and a very Lee podcast. Um, and uh, go Blue Jackets. There you go. <laughs> um, remember, you can join our Facebook discussion group. Just answer the goddamn question. <laughs> and not with nonsense. Like, at least pretend to try. Yeah, pretend. Yeah. <laughs> you don't even have to yeah, care. Just, just not exactly. pretend fake to it care. To, fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. All right. So I gave you some pretty heavy uh, hints as to what we were doing today. Do you remember what they were? I don't. But I remember thinking at the time when you gave them to me that I didn't know what it was anyway. So I'm, <laughs> okay. so I'm like, so I'm guessing it's something with, we've gone with fairly low body counts lately, which I think is oh. for a reason. Well, we, so I guess we're not doing that, are we? Yeah. Hmm. It's not low. Okay. It's not low. It is old, so okay. that helps make it a little less mm-hmm. timely. Mm. But um, I was first... So basically, I was kind of inspired because we've been watching Fargo. Yes, we have. <laughs> and we've joked about how quickly we pick up the accent. <laughs> like, you pick it up really... Oh, that's right. You said it, t- it takes place in Duluth. Yes. Well, very yeah. v- basically, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's a Minnesota. Oh. It's a, yeah, oh yeah. 
um, because you grew up in almost Canada, so you grew up around accents like that. And I did live in Minnesota for a few years growing up. In Minnesota, pretty much all of it is almost Canada. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) I was more central, well, closer to the Twin Cities. I I wasn't super far up there. It was not at Duluth. Um, which is quite a bit north. Yeah, if you're uh, if you're in New York City, you're 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 not a, a quick drive away from Canada. Um, but kind no, of in Minnesota, way. it seems like doesn't Minnesota Minnesota's jut big, up into Canada does, and kind of surround? It is a big state. state. It's a so, very very long state. Yeah, yeah. Like so like our large. long cats. Our long cats, yes. Um, <laughs> Speaking of which, look at this guy. <laughs> Jesse's in here with us tonight. Uh, Demi didn't want to join, Mm-mm. I guess. Demetrius. He wants to go sleep. He wants to go... Uh, Find the olive into, oil. Uh, yes, Demetrius apparently enjoys olive oil, we discovered, as he started so licking much our so, bottles. So, so much so that he literally broke into one of the, the cupboard. cupboard and knocked, yeah. knocked the olive oil yeah. bottle down. And has been licking the olive oil <laughs> lid, which is great. <laughs> it's a lot more fun than what we're about to talk about, I'm sure. Well, it is. That, that, that is true. So, um, anyway, well, not belabor <laughs> any further. Um, this is the story of the Cloquet Moose Lake fire. Oh, another fire. Yeah. Mm. So, in October 1918, multiple forest fires engulfed the northern Minnesota towns of Cloquet and Moose Lake, Minnesota, as well as the surrounding area, killing 453 people, yeah, displacing and injuring thousands and completely scorching about 250,000 acres of land at an estimated cost of over, in today's dollars, over $1.2 billion in property damage in what is often considered the worst natural disaster in Minnesota history. No, I'm, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised that yeah. it's up there for yeah, for uh, yeah. Uh, for United States history for a, for a natural disaster. Fire, that's bad. And for... A wildfire in Minnesota. So this yes. just yes, and we'll get into yeah, why. I'm sure. Yeah. So my sources um, for this episode were the Cloquet Area Chamber of Commerce, History.com, Lee Hutch. As I mentioned before, friend of the pod and host of Civil Wargasms, also a former firefighter and arson investigator. So I had a couple questions for him, and he helped um, point me in the right direction, which I'll mention. The Minnesota Historical Society, the Minnesota History Interpreter, MPR, Minnesota Public Radio. Ah, very clever. Minipedia, and I think that's how it's pronounced. It's literally M-N-O-pedia, so... Uh, the National Weather Service, the Pine Journal, and of course Wikipedia. Uh, so I I figured that this this town was actually pronounced Cloquet because I was like, oh, it's Minnesota, so it could be Cloquet. No, nope, it's Cloquet. Apparently, very specifically, they have on the Chamber of I think it was the Chamber of Commerce specifically said they had it's like K. they had like the phonetic right exactly <laughs> like bouquet yeah or, you know yeah um. We did actually already visit Minnesota in two separate disasters. The I-35 West bridge collapse. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. And the 1875 locust plague. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's where that took place. Uh Um, Gareth and... If you had asked me where that took place, I would not have remembered. Mm. But now that you said it, it, I'm like... It took place in multiple states. Sure. But But for our story, the main place Yeah, it was the little house on the prairie sort of angle. Yeah. Um, Gareth and Dave... Covered it just recently on the dollop. 
really? the Hocus Pike. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Um, so this is not our first visit to the land of 10,000 lakes. Mm. Uh, and I have a little bit of a soft spot for Minnesota, considering I do, I do remember lots of snow. And I also thought it would give us a chance to break into the accent, eh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was, I'm essentially from, like, the same latitude. Yeah, so. yeah, just over to the east, right? And we have Canadian accents, too. They're just not as thick. As, <laughs> as, or are they? I don't yeah, know. right, right? Well, I think I, it's a little different. We'll have different. to ask a Minnesotan. I think it's a little different. It's di- it is different. They're in, in Minnesota, it's a little bit more of the Norwegian sort of, like, cadence. Ours is a little more metropolitan because we're not far from Toronto mm-hmm. or uh, Ottawa. Well... Uh, Toronto's just outside of Detroit, no? Is that right? It might be, but it's not far from where I grew up either. It's only about a four-hour drive. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, I was like, well, and Ottawa's not that far from Ottawa's Minnesota. like an hour and a half directly north, and Montreal yeah. is like an hour and 15 minutes almost directly Oh, yeah, east. well, you were closer to Montreal. But Montreal is a different culture from the it rest of Canada. Not Quebec near, yes. is different than, yeah, than the rest of Canada. Yeah, they're les Oui, oui. Oui, oui. So... Just a quick reminder, geographically speaking, for those who don't live in the U.S. or or even those who do even and those like doing, me struggle like, with geography, uh, Minnesota is up in the north, so it borders Canada, but it's basically central east to west. It's part Pretty of the much. Midwest. Yeah. Um, Has a couple of gra- or one Great Lake, two, one. Well, it, Superior. It's on Superior. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, can you name? Let's let's turn this into something fun. What lies to the west of there's two states that border mm-hmm. minnesota to the west what are they um and it's think not of, uh think of fargo <laughs> well that, that gives it away that's mm-hmm. too easy come on so what is it <laughs> well one's obviously north dakota then uh-huh and the other state west of that <laughs> no, no or no. just oh no. okay yeah they I both border so the dakotas yes exactly which can we just change it to one <laughs> well hey come on we're from north carolina i do not want it to just become carolina but i do not want to absorb south carolina i understand but south carolina has five million of its own residents so they're fine doing their own thing we're fine doing our own thing okay fair enough there are fewer residents the dakotas <laughs> together don't even have a million you don't need to i'm sorry you don't i'm sorry i'm sorry you don't so sorry so what's west of uh, the Dakotas? Is it Idaho? Montana, Montana, I believe. It's Montana. Then the little the Idaho, skinny part yeah. of Idaho. And then Washington. Washington yeah. yeah, okay. I mean, we say that with so much confidence. We could be completely wrong. <laughs> and Boston is not the capital of Massachusetts. It is not in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> it's for the record. What is south of Minnesota? Uh, is and it Indiana? And I do remember this. Is it Indiana? No. no. Indiana is actually farther east, even. Is it um shit? Picture the little. Is it, Can- is it Kansas? Middle. No, no, that's to the west and south. Picture the little elf, you know, the gnome. I can't. What, Louisiana's what's, just, boot? What? Iowa. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I never think of Iowa. We have, and, and I'm God, sure I'm not the only one. Damn it! I'm blanking on her name, but we have a a listener who chimes in a lot on our um. Who was from Iowa? Yeah. Why can I not? I'm so it Mich- sorry. It's not Michelle. She's no, from Cleveland. No, I am so sorry. If you're that Iowa, listener, if you're that Iowa person and you're say, still listening, is it Elizabeth? Uh, I don't know. Let's move on. Oh, I hope I got that right. <laughs> At any rate, we have Iowan listeners. Before, before we hang ourselves even further. And what is to the east of Minnesota? Uh, water. 
<laughs> well, superior, but yes. there is also a state. Um, Jesus. Is it Wisconsin? It is Wisconsin. Okay. All right. It is that part, and Michigan I, is to the east of that. I know. Once we get to the Midwest, I know the coasts pretty well, yeah. each coast. Mm-hmm. But once well, we get to the Midwest, the coast, yeah. I, I don't know dick. I, I'm, I don't know where anything the is. The U.S. is so big that i feel that that's probably really normal yeah that you i know your area i pretty i'm pretty good at everything east mm-hmm. of, of the, uh, the mississippi but if we're going yeah. i'm like out of i'm like it's, it's just over there <laughs> it's just land texas <laughs> texas yeah is, is it texas <laughs> texas franklin oh wait that's not a state anymore um is that what tennessee used to be or something yes well a, a piece oh, okay. of it okay and there's now a it's still a town or a city, something oh, like yeah. that. Oh, I've heard of Frank. Yeah, yeah, that's why I guessed that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Davy Crockett was actually born in Franklin, in the state of Franklin. King of the Wild Frontier. That's the one. Um. So the far north. I think it was him anyway. <laughs> Again, Boston is not the capital. Massachusetts. Oh, that's right. Uh. So the far northeastern part of the state of Minnesota borders Lake Superior, which we visited before. The Edmund Fitzgerald was in Superior. I'm pretty sure. If I'm not mistaken. Uh, sure. The wreck of the... What was your... Because I was trying to think of what Great Lake... Well, it wasn't Erie. It wasn't... It wasn't Ontario. Ontario. It wasn't Michigan. I think it was. I think it was. Because we talked all about Lake Superior once. Sure we did, but that was literally like 140 episodes ago. (laughs) Talk forever like this. It is so hard to remember what you said. So the biggest town on the lake in Minnesota is Duluth. Uh, a place many of us have probably heard of. It's like one of the, of course, you hear about Minneapolis, St. Paul, the mm-hmm. Twin Cities. Duluth which is a pretty big city, though. South. It, it is. Yeah. It, well, it's a port town, right? Yeah. So it's it's an important town. It's an important port town. Um, and Cloquet is basically a suburb of Duluth. It's it's only about 25 miles or 40 kilometers due west. And it's in the same county of Carleton, so like I said, it's part of the Duluth metro area. And Duluth is actually really sizable, a lot bigger than I thought it was, nearing an estimated three hundred thousand people. That sounds in about Duluth right. Proper, yeah. So that's, that's, that's honestly, I might not have Samsonited that one. That that would have been yeah, what I might have guessed. guessed that. Yeah. I might have guessed like four hundred. Okay, so uh, so Duluth is on Lake Superior in the far east coast of that side of Minnesota. Basically, if you just cut completely west across the state and went into South Dakota, you would have that's, Fargo. Okay. So that's it's on the same like latitude as as Fargo. You draw you draw a straight line. Yeah, basically. Uh, and so, if you try to get a mental picture of Minnesota, you probably first think of like Fargo. Is that Interstate ninety, probably. I don't know what runs east-west. I think it's up 90. There. Up that far up north, I think it, I think it is I 90. I don't know. I do not know. I, I know I-35 goes north-south. Uh, north-south, yep. Because odd-numbered highways go north-south, mm-hmm. uh, even east-west. Um, so, so you probably think of, like, everything being snowy and cold, and that's true. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> what a, I think a, of. a significant portion of the year. That's, I think it because I also lived it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I can personally verify it is very cold and snowy in the winter. Um, and at least in Duluth, because of it being right on the lake, uh, it is also relatively cool during the summer. I will sure. say that yeah. in growing up in the suburbs of the Twin Cities, we hit 100 days, like 100 degree Fahrenheit days in the summer. Not for long, not often, not many days in a row. But it happens. But it gets hot there. 
um, but apparently not so much in Duluth. In fact, the average high, if you had to guess the average high in the dead of summer in Duluth, what would you guess? 74? 76? You oh, are okay. not far yeah. off. That's not very warm. No. That's not. That's like pleasant. <laughs> that's, yeah. It feels very warm because, you know, just, Comparatively, three, just three months ago it was negative 42. Mm-hmm. But, but it's, it's the effect of the lake, right? Yeah, the lake is. does not is not warming up to plus 90 lake, degrees. Plus it's Lake Superior. It's the biggest one. It is a huge obviously. lake. Yeah, so, and we've talked about that too, just how big. It's, it's, and against any great lake I've been to, well, I've been to all two of, two of the great Two lakes. of the great lakes. <laughs> so you've been to but, Ontario and... Erie. Erie, okay. It's cold on the lake. Oh, yeah. It is, like oh, yeah. even in the summer. You learned when you jumped into it. I did, day. yes. <laughs> It wasn't cold there in that part because that was like kind of like an inlet. But like most okay. of most of mm-hmm. the spots on Lake Ontario and certainly on Lake Erie, which is part of Buffalo too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's not warm. No. So yeah, seventy six in the summer. Now that is Fahrenheit Celsius. It is twenty four. That's I still always whenever people um, in Europe are like, oh, it was so hot. It was like thirty degrees today. I'm like. <laughs> Oh, wow. I, like, I don't know what that means. The funniest thing, though, is where I grew up, they gave the temperature in the morning, like in the morning, they gave it in Fahrenheit and in and Celsius. Celsius. Yes. Well, because of being mm-hmm. so close to, yeah, people who aren't idiots and need Fahrenheit and feet and inches, unlike the rest of the world. <laughs> right? Oh, America and our exceptionalism. That's, that's our, uh, our tanks at, at work. That's how we measure them in Celsius. Oh, well, that's that's used in a lot of in in stand standard for scientific stuff yeah. is all is all metric. And Let me tell you how much fun it is to stand next to an eighty degree Celsius tank tank when it's ninety degrees outside. Ooh, that sounds wicked. <laughs> it sucks. Yikes. So now in the winter, it's very normal for the high temperature of Duluth to maybe reach freezing. So that's zero sure, Celsius, yeah. thirty two Fahrenheit. Yeah. It's very prone to snow because of the lake effect, right? Um, and snow typically occurs between late October and mid-April. In other words, half the year. Yep. <laughs> and averages about 86 inches or two meters of snow per year. That's a lot. Yep. That's that fucking is a lot. ton. That is a lot. Now, historically speaking, Cloquet and the general Carlton County Duluth sort of metro area flourished because of being on Lake Superior, right? Port towns, especially back in the day, that was... Because Duluth as a settlement has probably existed for a thousand years. Quite some time, yes. Um, And not only that, but Cloquet itself, so Cloquet is a little more inland, but it's connected to Superior through the St. Louis River. There's a little river called the St. Louis, yeah, that runs there. Um... And the early indigenous peoples of the area first were the Dakota people, which is a subset of the Sioux, and then the Ojibwe people of southern Canada and the northern Midwest. The primary industry moving into the 18th century was, like everywhere up north back then, fur trading. Fur trading. <laughs> Always with the fur, fur trading. Fur trading and shipping. Mm-hmm. Yep. So after fur trading flourished for decades, by the 1830s, it got tougher to maintain as white people moved in, converting hunting grounds into settlement areas. So finding themselves in very difficult financial circumstances, the Ojibwe people became more receptive to potential negotiations by the U.S. federal government. 
um, even though they already had some bad experiences with them, including in 1850, President Zachary Taylor ordered the Ojibwe people to be displaced and driven west. So just like <laughs> like was done with many, yeah. many indigenous people. You're kidding. I know, right? <laughs> Um, that never happened. Now, interestingly, this order actually was canceled, and so it never see, happened. See, I heard that they just <laughs> decided to leave. They were like, "We'll just here, you can just have it." You know, I also we don't hear, mind. I also hear that COVID's just going to sort of dif- disappear. Haven't you heard? That's what Fuckface said. So it must be true. What's COVID? COVID. Oh, COVID is the five G. The the. So it's all about the five G. It's it's because. Oh my god. All right. Um. There's Let's something, something about a fire, right? <laughs> so also in 1850, amidst negotiations, the Ojibwe people were sent to Sandy Lake, Minnesota, near it's relatively nearby, where they were told they would receive their payment for ceding some of their land. So literally, white people are like, oh, hey, tell you what. They're just waiting to hand out cash. Go yeah. to Sandy. Yeah, right. Go to Sandy Lake. <laughs> We'll meet you there with the money. Um, it's probably surprising to no one now. No one showed up and hundreds of people died during the winter that followed. So basically, they just sent them there to die. So, America. <sighs> Make America <laughs> suck as it always has. Well, I mean, let's let's be honest. Uh, displacing people is something we do it's very our, well. It's our I mean, best. we're really we're really fucking good at it. It's our best skill. <laughs> it is. We don't just do it here either. We steal. Yeah. Murder. <laughs> it, we have it down to a little size. All over the world. So well. It's our biggest. So well. It's our biggest export. Still. <sighs> So in 1854, the Bureau of Indian Affairs approached the Ojibwe in LaPointe, La Wisconsin, which is very close to Duluth, because Duluth is actually just of, yeah, on the border. I've heard of, yeah. I've heard of LaPointe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so Duluth is just, just on the border with Wisconsin. So the U.S. government was interested in the area because of other natural resources on Ojibwe land, specifically minerals and timber. This is a very timber-rich area, very wooded area. So the Treaty of La Pointe was struck with stipulations for the Ojibwe people that they be allowed to stay in the area on reservations and have access to the land for fishing and hunting. And they got those terms. Unfortunately, despite those terms and conditions, as well as financial resources, the Ojibwe people struggled in their post-treaty world as development vastly changed the natural resources they relied on for survival. So in other words, like Basically, every other indigenous group in North America, and of course the world over, in the end they were royally screwed from their land and their way of life. Part of it, a big part of it too, was what they depended on as far as the land goes, Mm -hmm. which were certain animals to... So to eat, clothe themselves, literally do everything yep. with. You start tearing down the timber, the well, trees. Well, not only then... that, there was mass hunting, like industrial hunting, yes, that just yeah. literally... Uh-huh. I mean, the American buffalo is pretty much extinct. I don't like know. What, I do, I'm unfamiliar. I'm, what I'm most trying. people think of an American buffalo is actually bison. Like, buffalo okay. are... Like, there's only, like, a handful left in North America. Or America, I, I believe. Anyway, well, there's at don't least, quote me on there's that. at least 32 of them, um, although they haven't worn a uniform in a long time. <laughs> I, I could be... How many people are actually on an, an NFL roster? 53. Oh, okay. So I was way off on the number. 
I saw what you were getting at, but 32 was OJ's number, so I thought that was an OJ oh, joke. Oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, think, I was thinking of 32 because there's 32 teams in the NFL. That's probably what I was thinking. So, anyway. So, along with that colonial development of cloquet came the rail system in the later uh, part yeah. of the 19th century, bolstered by a strong timber industry in the area, which is part of what ruined the land for the Ojibwe. Because they had to use the timber to make the railway. Yep. And also to ship other places. Yep. It was the bread and butter of the oh, area. God, yeah. So the smaller settlements of the area were quickly incorporated together as the village of Cloquet in 1884, uh, graduating to city status 20 years later in 1904. And it grew very quickly near the beginning of the 20th century, tripling its population in about two decades. Now, to be clear, it was still very small. At the time of this disaster, the population of Cloquet was about 7,000. Mm-hmm. So we're still talking very small. But still, the rate of growth was massive. Sure. Uh, The bulk of this growth was due to federal incentives to purchase land in the area. Land grants, uh, which many farmers did very happily. And the town also became relatively famous for its strong consumer co-op system, which is very interesting. In fact... (sighs) What? What's that? I know. In fact, I wonder if this is, and this is sheer speculation, if that's kind of a thing that just happened in Minnesota quite a bit. We went to a co-op all the time when I was little. So this is like the early 90s. Mm -hmm. We went to a co-op in Minnesota, and I feel like that... I never saw another co-op until like Weaver Street in Chapel Hill. Hmm. So, like, Miami doesn't have co-ops. No, I <laughs> so, I'll bet it doesn't. It's probably a little bit more of a smaller area thing. Like, you have probably, to have people who are willing to cooperate. Probably also a tradition, too. And if you're talking yeah. about an, an area with this, you know, few people, mm-hmm. everybody knows each other. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if, you, if, if you decide you want to, you know come around and be an asshole and right. under, undercut people right. yeah, it's not gonna it's not gonna play very well right uh so the they started the cloquet cooperative society in 1910 apparently that's still going on nice and at the time it included a cooperative building supply store a mortuary an auto repair shop a service station and general stores that's how cool. sound like things yeah. you need in 1910. Right? Especially the mortuary. <laughs> well, we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah. The rail industry remained a hallmark of the town, being the starting point of one of the largest logging rail lines in the state that ran for 200 miles west-southwest from Cloquet to Rose Lake, Minnesota. So one of the results of the area being a lumber hub was the fact that there was basically a bunch of kindling deposits all over the land, meaning lumber depots with huge numbers of cut and dry lumber sitting around, and then when you chop down trees, smaller bits of wood, the chips, the oh, limbs, all the leaves, yep, yeah. are left behind. This is known as cover land, apparently. So there was just a... <laughs> beds. Just kindling. <laughs> yes, of kindling. Throughout the entire state, Exactly. Literally. And add to that that the summer and early fall of 1918 were extremely dry in Carleton County. They were going through like a little drought. So we can we can see where this is headed. Yes, right? we can. Now, when I say interesting, 19, when I say 1918, what else comes to your mind? Uh, well, our last great pandemic, the flu pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So the last time the. Red Sox would win the World well, Series okay, in, the, no, in the 20th I'm not century. I'm you to keep going. I just mean, <laughs> please don't name everything about 1918. Well, those are just but two things. There's one other big thing that was going on. Oh, it was the end of World War One. Yep, World War One was still going on. So, 
this is the, the thing that I found very interesting about this disaster is that it was a small, like an area's disaster amidst a global disaster, actually a global disaster and a global war. So, which is a disaster. Uh, yeah, this kind of reminded me on a very different scale, obviously. Um, here, where we live, um, just down the road, I mean, if it's a block, maybe two blocks technically away from us, at the very beginning of the quarantine, it was a few weeks in, it was early April, an apartment building caught fire. And now it was just one building and i think there were four units or something like something that like, like that at least that well actually no those are apartments they're not townhouses so it might have been eight but a full blown apartment building caught fire um we still don't know why Mm-mm. what exactly it was still sitting and there. it's still sitting there yeah 7 months later um and i just remember thinking at the time i'm like already we're in the middle of a global disaster and then you're being displaced on top of that after your own personal disaster. Further, like, it was compounded by the fact that everyone was supposed to be staying at home. Well, your home's gone. So... Yeah, your home literally just burned down. It was very sad. But um, but this is what this kind of reminds me of, like, a, a local disaster on top of a national disaster with a war component. It's just, it's just shit timing, right? Mm-hmm. There's never a good time for there to be a no. disaster, but while other disasters are going on that affect you, I mean, it just makes it 10 times worse. So, so sometime in the morning of Thursday, October 10th, 1918, a great Northern railway locomotive was making its way through Carlton County. And it was approaching milepost 62. So Great Northern is now a part of the Burlington Northern and Santa Fe Railway. But back in the early 20th century, Great Northern had a main track that began in St. Paul and ran west to Seattle. So that's a big line. It's a long right? line. Mm-hmm. Milepost 62 was the site of a smaller rail line that split off from the main line that was used as a sort of like a loading zone for various wood products, including telephone poles, railroad ties, fence posts, and just like logs, right? So because it was so frequently used as like an on and off loading point, there were a lot of chips and bits of wood left behind on the ground. So by this point in rail history, in, in rail history, yeah, the rail history of the rail industry, uh, it was old enough that it was well established that the chimneys on locomotives could spew out flammable debris, right? Sure. Like bits and sparks. That absolutely makes sense. That would easily. These are all these are all coal fired. Yep. Exactly. That would easily start wildfires, and so for that reason, the law was already. That required uh, trains to employ safety mechanisms like spark arresters, which are mechanisms on the chimneys that stop that from happening, right? Uh, So apparently either this particular locomotive was illegally outfitted or defective or something, because regardless of what it should not have done, it was apparently spewing sparks and embers because as it made its way out of mile post 62, some type of flaming material that came from the train set the dry ground on fire. Hmm. Okay. So two farmers who live nearby, John Sundstrom 
<laughs> and his neighbor, Steve Koskella. <laughs> no. Sounds about right. Uh, saw smoke coming from near milepost 62 shortly after a train pulled out of the sidetrack headed northwest toward Hibbing, Minnesota. So they went to invest. I mean, this isn't like a you see smoke, you, you grab your phone and call 911. Now, phones were operational back then, but it just wasn't. By 1910, kind of. 1918. Oh, 1918. Well, even then, kind of. But they're only going to be like in a business or something like that. I don't well, think, yeah, I don't think I don't anybody has one in their home. Had one, yeah. yeah. But but you're right. Like you're not going to call 911. Right. No, there is no 911. There, <laughs> there is. Let's go investigate. Exactly. So they did. They discovered the fire, uh, and it was burning in tall, dry grass that was also very, very close to piles of wood sitting at the stop. Mm. So they literally were like stamping their feet, trying to stamp out the fire. Um, it didn't work. So they ran back to their homes. They got like buckets and shovels and other neighbors <laughs> to assist them. Now, here's uh, go ahead. No, I was gonna. I was just gonna say we're about to take on a forest fire with buckets and shovels. Well, at this point, it wasn't huge. Not yet. This is still a small fire, but still, right? Still, I mean, imagine trying to do that. Oh, I, I even cannot. a medium scale yeah. fire. Um, now, because we're talking 1918, I was not sure what the fire department situation was. So that's when I reached out to Lee. I was like, hey, Lee, <laughs> what was firefighting like in 1918 Minnesota? <laughs> well, I can tell you what it was like in New York City, but I don't know about Minnesota. <laughs> well, so Lee mentioned that by 1918, larger places like the Twin Cities uh, had paid firefighters and mo- even motorized trucks by then. Because mm-hmm. this is into yes. automobile days. Yep, it's not like we're talking Mm-mm. horse and buggy only sort I mean, there of are, thing. We're, we're into planes. Yeah, very by 1918, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he pointed me in the direction of the Cloquet Area Fire District website, which had some very interesting background on the fire brigade of the area, which was actually first chartered... 30 years prior, in 1888, they had, okay. they had a fire brigade, even in that a small town, and they were paying them. So it was not a volunteer fire department okay. or anything. Yeah. The site did mention uh, the lumber industry as being a point of protection even early on. Absolutely. So I, my sort of theory of this is that the reason such a small town actually did have a fire brigade so early was to protect the industry. Of so. course. That's, um, their, that's their bread and butter. So so there were firefighters in Cloquet back then, but I actually, in all the articles and research I read, I couldn't find much reference to them. So I guess we just have to assume that they were working alongside with everybody else. So I don't know. So as lo- local farmers and possibly or maybe even probably the fire brigade worked to put out the fire... They were joined that evening by a crew from Great Northern. <laughs> like, oh, shit, we started this. Maybe we should help put it out. Although I don't know if they knew back then that they had started. But unfortunately for all those who worked to fight the grass fire at Milepost 62, October 10th was a wickedly windy day. Mm. There were sustained winds up to 65 miles per hour. That's not good. <laughs> and it hit gusts as high as 76 miles per hour. How fast? So, uh huh. 76 huh. miles per hour. Is that, did you like my inflection? 76. Hey. <laughs> um, and that obviously helped the fire spread. So despite all efforts, the fire could not be contained particularly well the day it started on October 10th. 
The next day, however, conditions actually improved because the wind died down, the the flames died down. So it was really starting to look like they were getting it under control. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm talking specifically about this fire, right? Um, at milepost 62, but here's the problem. This was not the only fire in the area at the time. Oh, man. There were apparently five specifically noted fires going on, and there were also reports of up to 50 very much smaller fires going on. So this is like a little fires everywhere situation. And, like, as long as they're isolated and controlled and, like, then okay... But the problem is, if they start to spread and basically join forces, that's a problem. Well, so, so. (laughs) Um, One of these fires, by the way, and this is why I decided to call this, I was going to call this the Cloquet Fire, but in a lot of places it's noted as being the Cloquet Moose Lake Fires because, um, like I said, it's multiple fires, but these were like the two worst ones. So there had been a fire near Moose Lake, which is a little southwest of Cloquet, that had been smoldering since October 4th. So it's still, and, and that's the, the problem is there it would like flare up and then die down, but it wouldn't stop, it wouldn't go away. So they were still around. So October 11th, okay, things are seeming a little more manageable, the winds are dying down. But on to October 12th, two days after the Milepost 62 fire started, a cold front started moving through the area, bringing higher winds and drier air with it. That morning, Steve Kiskella, who I mentioned before, one of those farmers near Milepost 62, uh, got up, traveled by train to Brookston. When he left, the fire seemed to kind of just be doing what it had been the previous day. So he traveled by train to Brookston, a nearby town. And uh, then he returned around 1130 in the morning and came home to basically massive flames starting to grow yeah and the fire was encroaching upon his farm so he because the winds picked up that was the long and short of it and the dry air as well so he and his sons this is what they tried to do they soaked the building the buildings on the farm with pails basically like let's try to make it as non-dry as possible so maybe it won't destroy our farm and then they let all their animals out. Mm, yeah. You have like, no other choice. Yeah. Here, good luck to you animals. Try to get out. Um, the fires not only strengthened, but then started to join forces with, one e- with each other, creating even more massive fires. Now, here I'm going to interject a quote from Lee. He literally said, you may quote me. He said, quote, Big wildfires scare the shit out of me. Quote. And I can imagine. Sure, they scare the shit out of everybody because it's just the scope of it. Yeah. And how do you handle something that's not contained? I mean, very early on, we covered. Uh, they made a movie out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Granite Mountain Hot Yes. Mm-hmm. And these were experienced guys who had been through In these modern times. Who had yes. been through a, a ton of these. Still extremely dangerous. Yeah, and, and they and it cost them mm-hmm. their lives. Mm-hmm. I mean. Seasoned veterans of doing mm-hmm. that still die. Absolutely. Absolutely. So by 4 p.m. that afternoon, so this is October 12th, the fire had made its way to Brookston, where Cascella had just been hours before. And again, I, I'm going to I'm gonna say fire 
but to be clear, this was not just one fire. These were a series of fires, but anyway. Um, so, and they were all raging at the same time. So it's kind of like a single event fire versus there actually being only one fire. So a train reached the town uh, of Brookston and evacuated over 200 people and headed to Cloquet. So by now, the fire was encroaching not just on Cloquet, but on the nearby Fond du Lac Ojibwe Reservation, as well as many other small towns and villages in the area. As Cloquet residents spotted what were later described as walls of fire approaching, warnings resounded through the town via factory whistles, door-to-door notifications by the fire department, and literally telephone operators calling every number in the area and saying, get the fuck out. I don't think I don't think I can quote them all. I don't think that's exactly what they said, but who knows? That's what I would have said. Well, even they're, in 1918. They're, they're nice people. They're not going to say fuck. But there's a wall of fire coming at well, them. Well, okay. Literally. If ever there was a time to say that, yeah. So the train from Brookston, along with several others that had been organized by the mayor, pulled into Cloquet for a mass evacuation. And eventually they got they they got basically all 7000 residents out uh now the death toll remained very low in cloquet only 5 people died in cloquet uh because of this speedy evacuation but cloquet saw some of the worst property damage it was basically burned to the ground so everyone's everything was gone like there was nothing left in cloquet so as the fire spread throughout the region, it just destroyed masses, just huge swaths of land. Uh, trigger warning. Also, animals killed who knows how many animals. I mean, that's what happens in wildfires. And, and farmland. So. Yeah. And unfortunately, also killed many residents who couldn't evacuate fast enough. Here is a bit of a map just for a visual of where the fires were. So the dark is, dark areas is where it was. So that's Lake Superior. So that's mm-hmm. Duluth. So you can see Duluth itself actually didn't really get much Mm-mm. damage. It's all this like rural area. And you can yeah. see how spotty it is mm-hmm. because of all the separate areas of fire. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty awful. So this fire was tearing through the area. <laughs> this is terrifying. The fire was moving at an estimated speed of 20 miles per hour. Jesus Christ. Like you could not outrun it. Literally. No, hell no. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so some people just did not have time to get out of Literally, like, did not have time to get out of its way. Now, this was the early days of automobiles, horseless carriages. So some people did have cars. I think you would honestly be better off on a horse. A horse can just take off. Yeah. Well, well, so people did get in their cars and race Mm -hmm. off, some of whom were successful, and then some of whom met their demise by this, because here's something that's just really sad. In the town of Kettle River, which was near Moose Lake, where the, um, the fire that started back on October 4th, had also just grown huge and was one of those massive fires. Dozens of car crashes happened at a sharp turn onto Highway 73, now ominously known as Dead Man's Curve, resulting in dozens of deaths. So some people just died trying to escape. 
Yeah, and just weren't paying attention and panicking and just fucking ran into each other. I mean, plus, I imagine a 1918 car's not going to handle very well. It has no safety whatsoever. Uh, Like, it's not even a... And if a fire's traveling 20 miles per hour, you have to be going faster than that, and it's just, oh, that's horrifying. Better get that three on the tree right on the first try. (laughs) Jeez. I I mean, back then, I'm not even joking. I Mm -hmm. think back then, I think cars barely went 20 miles an hour. No, that would make sense. That would make absolute sense, yeah. Some of those who couldn't escape the path of the fire tried to protect themselves by hiding in wells or cellars. People who were literally caught out in the open, there were some people who soaked blankets, covered themselves in the middle of an open field. Ironically, the people who did this tended to fare better than the people in the cellars and the wells. Because the people in the cellars and the wells suffocated and died of smoke uh, of inhalation. Yep. Whereas the people on the field, if you could just get through the... I mean, I'm not saying that, oh, that was... That was no problem. Great success, you know. But anyway. Um, some people literally ran and jumped into Moose Lake or even drove their cars into the lake. And actually fared okay because yeah you're in the middle of water water. (laughs) yeah exactly not that fire can't travel out on water but it but it needs another ignition source it couldn't just do it on its own and actually if you think about it maybe driving into the lake wasn't the best idea because of the gas well but it's it's literally but yeah but uh but yeah Uh, so the fires burned through to Monday, October 14th oh my God. due to favorable conditions before they were contained. They killed 453 people, killed countless farm animals, injured over 2,000 people, oh, sure. displaced over 52,000 people, damaged or outright destroyed 38 communities. And burned about 250,000 acres of land. And I've got... there. This is early days of photography. Mm-hmm. Or not even early days. No. This is days of photography, so you can kind of see... It's where it's becoming a little more established. The ruins of cocaine. Jesus. Yeah. There's literally nothing left. No, it's just singed. There's parts There's of parts of it It looks left, like ruins, yeah. Looks like a bomb just hit it. Yeah. Here's some of the, like, the land. Hmm. Yeah, it's terrible. So many of those evacuated and subsequently displaced were sent to the train depot in Duluth and neighboring Superior, Wisconsin. So Duluth didn't see much damage. There was a little bit, but not much comparatively. And nothing happened on the Superior side. So Hmm. Superior was safe. Others were shuttled from the fires to safety by the National Guard who had been deployed. Evacuees were taken into private homes by locals. And literally, like I read... That people went to the depot, like residents of Duluth and Superior, and were like, "We can take two. We can take two. Come on!" Who like it was like a okay. We can we can house four. We can house four, and like took people in, which is a hey, if you that doesn't do what you do. well. Plus, if yeah. that doesn't show Minnesota nice, I don't know what there you does. Go. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and then a lot of people were sheltered in mass at hospitals, churches, schools. Um, and even the Duluth National Guard Armory. Now, it has been posited by the Carleton County Historical Society that the real death toll of the disaster could have actually been much higher, 
given that victims were being treated and sheltered in hospitals during the 1918 mm, flu pandemic. Sure. Which actually, so... In October, this happened. In November, it really reached, the pandemic really re- reached wow. that area. So so if some people hadn't had to be in that situation, they may not have caught it and died exactly. as a result. So it's like a secondary cause second of death. Yeah. Well, no, it's yeah. it's not really a second wave of the pandemic. It's It, it was a, a disaster. A disaster. Um, it's a, it's, it wasn't... Uh, it was a secondary cause sort sure. of thing. It was a compounding disaster. Yes, yeah. Uh-huh. Exactly. So in Moose Lake, the town that saw the worst casualties, the somewhere around 200 who oh. died, were buried in coffins placed in large hand-dug trenches with markers for every victim bearing bearing an identifying number. So they didn't have um, names written, but they had numbers and then a log of who was who. And this is them working to bury to oh, wow. dig the grave, yeah, mm. graves. So the relief efforts had started as early as October thirteenth, after the really worst of the fires on the twelfth. The Red Cross responded. I was going to say the American mm-hmm. Red Cross fully mm-hmm. exists by now. Yep. And their efforts included building with the townspeople more than 200 shelters for those displaced. And here's an example of a still-standing clapboard shelter that the Red Cross created as a result. Mm -hmm. That's that's some good old uh, 1918 engineering right there. Yes, it is. Yeah. Four walls and a roof. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a shelter. And windows and a door. Also responding was the Minnesota Home Guard, which was... It was interesting. It's so, it apparently sort of like a pseudo-military civilian corps. Well, it sounds like, yeah, like a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a, uh, yeah. Created by the Minnesota Commission of Public Safety after the Minnesota National Guard had been federalized the previous year in 1917. Probably to go to war. Yeah. So aside from those killed, injured, and displaced, the most devastating effects of the fire were largely economic. So farming and logging, the two major industries in the rural areas outside of Duluth, had been basically just wiped out, destroyed. Uh, Now, some eventually left the area for the Twin Cities or other places, but many residents of Cloquet, which again, one of the hardest hit as far as property damage goes, uh, stuck around and worked hard to rebuild their city. So living up to the spirit of cooperation the town was known for, the owners of the lumber mills met to pool resources and begin a coordinated rebuilding effort with their available lumber stock, which was especially effective given that lumber is exactly what you need to physically rebuild buildings, right? Especially back then. You can hear the mm-hmm. fireworks. fireworks. Yeah. yeah. Nice. We did get married on July 3rd. Third. So. But we partied well into July 4th. <laughs> No, you had to work the next day, right? Mm-hmm. No, I had the Not day the fourth, off. but the fifth. The you fa- had the to work. day off. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the third going into the fourth. Yeah. 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 It's a fun time. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Just continue on. I guess. They're, they're not going to stop. Okay, you guys know what the sound is. Yeah. The paper mill reopened within just a week. Oh, well. Injecting okay. a lot of needed, much needed jobs back sure. into the economy. And as fewer timber resources were available, farming became the primary industry of Cloquet as it continued to rebuild over the following decades. 
Rebuilding efforts were also greatly financed by large amounts of public funds allocated and distributed by the Minnesota Commission of Public Safety that paid for shelter, building materials, clothing, food, livestock even for those starting back up their farms and other necessities for survivors of the fire seeking to rebuild their lives in the area. And that makes sense. You want to be like, hey, please stay. We'll give you resources to stay and rebuild here. Compensation for survivors for damages was sought in the court system for years to apparently very little avail. But apparently in uh, 1935, some partial compensation was granted through through federal legislation. But honestly, I could not find any more reference to that. So I'm not sure exactly what that was. The towns of Cloquet and Moose Lake still stand rebuilt today. More than 100 years after the fire. Cloquet is now notable for the R.W. Lindholm service station, a gas station built in 1958 and designed by one Frank Lloyd Wright. Oh, nice. Isn't that cool? I wonder if that's the only gas station you made. I don't know. Yeah, it, but it, it looks like. Cool, huh? But it looks like if Frank Lloyd Wright made it a gas station. It does. It's still standing. It's that's still pretty, there. That's pretty cool. Well, yeah, you don't tear oh, that down, down. Frank Lloyd Wright. No way. No, you're kidding. And that, my friend. I just thought wow. we'd end with a nice, nice. Yeah, because uptick. the rest that, of it was pretty fucking tragic. That was the story um, of the Cloquet Moose Lake fire. The people have suggested that, haven't they? That sounds familiar you know, for some I reason. I thought so. But I didn't have anybody's name written next to it in my okay. spreadsheet. So, if you did suggest it, and yeah, I was reach just, out to us. Yeah, just let us know. We'll yeah. shout you out next week. Yeah. Or next, sometime in the future, because we might record this, our next episode tomorrow. So, <laughs> yes. We will shout you out eventually, though, I promise. But, uh,. Initially, I, I didn't think I'd ever heard of it, but mm-hmm. as you got into the details a little bit, it sounded a little bit familiar. Maybe See, I saw it, it on it like a History Channel up episode at all. or who knows. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I got the impression, again, I could be wrong. I could have just missed whoever suggested it, um, but I got the impression that this was one of the... So when we first started this show, almost exactly three years ago, mm-hmm. I... Uh, just like Google disasters and wrote down a whole bunch of things. And I think this was one of them. Okay. But I could be wrong. I could be wrong. <laughs> as the uh, as the ice. Oh, we're almost there. I'm done. But, um, I mean, that's it's just... awful. Imagine a wall of fire coming Within at you. 20 miles at per hour. 20 miles an hour. Like, unless you're way ahead of it. Mm-mm. You're fucked. Even if Just, you are, you're not going to be for long. That's true. And plus, of course, mm. I, I'm sure the majority of the injuries were um, maybe like some third degree burns and like smoke inhalation. And like suffocation. Just, mm-hmm. Because a, a fire of that magnitude oh, dude, is sucking all the oxygen. Smoke everywhere. Yeah. The, um, the saying of uh, sucking all the oxygen out of the room. Hmm, that's what a fire does. I remember when James... Uh, co-hosted an episode and he was like smoke equals bad he's yeah because like, mm-hmm. like, he's like smoke can actually cause fire That's itself right, yeah mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. he's like yeah the more smoke you have the worse it is yeah but uh and i i agree with lee's assessment as well scare the shit out of me yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. there's no it's Awful. it's too it's too much it's that literally the scale it's the scope <laughs> yes. absolutely and even today with modern technology and, and we still don't have it down pat it's no. still dangerous as fuck and every single year you still well we covered the uh, the 
um, Australia. Australia, mm-hmm. but not, not even the most recent no, bushfires shit. we didn't no. cover. So, yeah, no, this is still a California massive issue. burns every year. And, uh, and it's only going to get worse with climate change, too. What? <laughs> I See, I hear that climate change is just going to sort of disappear. I don't know. Whatever. People are saying. Yeah, it's going to sort of disappear when our species is gone. <laughs> that's that's when it'll disappear. Oh, my God. But uh, that's... Uh, Fires are scary. Fires are. are really scary. And this... and. I mean, other than the granite mountain hotshots, have mm-hmm. we done like a forest fire? Oh, we did. Well, An we, did the, bush, fire. we, did, the we bush did the bush. We did the bush fires. Uh, the Black Saturday bush fires. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done plenty of building fires. Obviously. Yeah, but as far as like a wilderness fire, oh. I think this might Trying be the to third. Our back catalog. Is yeah, right. Hard. If somebody out there can remember it for us, please get. In touch I have with the us. full spreadsheet. Oh, I know. Of all our episodes, I, I don't doubt that you do. Well, I have to keep track, otherwise we're going to do like the same episode six times and not remember it. At this point, that could happen. It could very well yeah. happen. It's like, wait, we already did that? When? <laughs> like 20 years ago, it feels like. But, uh... Oh, man. It has been a while since we've done a fire, and I'm completely fine. I know, they're scary. If it's a they're while really until scary. we do another one, especially mm-hmm. one where it's coming at you at 20 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now today, our cars have the technology. You can just get the fuck out of Dodge if you've got enough space. But back then, yes. I, I mean, really, no. I don't. I don't think yeah. cars went really much faster than twenty miles an hour. Yeah, I don't know. They literally just putted around. People were like, "This is so. This is so neat. Look at this. This is so cool. <laughs> Watch me go down a hill." Can we be on a newsreel? Well, I've seen uh, what was the one of the History Channel shows, but early on when people were first learning to drive cars. Mm-hmm. Instead of putting their foot on the brake because they were used to riding a horse, they would just go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, no. <laughs> because it was just like a natural oh, instinct. No. Like that to tell work. like to tell the car to stop. It's like no. Cars aren't sentient. <laughs> no, they aren't. <laughs> they learned that the hard way, apparently on this one curve too. Oh my god. But uh you know what's really weird? That curve is still there. I mean it's known as Dead Man's Curve sure. now. But it is a very and you can see it on Google Maps. A, Pretty sharp curve onto Highway 73. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. <sighs> so, so, any more smart, fun, ranty things to say? Bantery, yeah, rantery? Probably not. I think people are sick of us at this point. <laughs> we're just we're too, sick of us. We're just too cute. Ooh. No, the hell was that? <laughs> was that? That was a barrage. Right. So, that was the, uh, the Cloquet Moose Lake Fire. Mm-hmm. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.